0: You're listening to the Passion and Perspective podcast, brought to you by Sporting Chance Media and supported by the Western Weekender. For three decades, Penrith and the surrounding community has turned to the Western Weekender. Visit westernweekender.com.au or find your copy every Friday. Jazz Hurrigan is a local musician with a love for performance and a love of people. Jazz has had a whirlwind career. He has chased his passion, always striving for greatness and not sitting and waiting for things to happen. He has overcome many challenges and faced difficult realisations in life. Throughout the support of friends and family and a strong perspective has helped him through and kick started a new beginning. jazz jazz welcome to the show mate. thanks mate thanks for having us um we, we spoke earlier in the week and you said that your story from 18 i guess through to now was quite abnormally interesting <laughs> yeah uh and we'll get to that in a bit more depth later on but i'm keen to hear you grew up in east Blackson. yeah um which is you know about 90 minutes west of sydney new south wales tell us a little bit about your
1: upbringing mate um yes yeah, so i was yeah my upbringing was, was really normal um like just like a loving family and i grew up across the road from my cousins so not far from love support fun this family you know that's how we'll build up all those values and now i grew up with my mother and my grandparents and then across the road house full of cousins and aunties and uncles and stuff like that so it was really um yeah it was a great um upbringing just full of just activity like really my mum threw me into sport real young so just swimming tennis soccer rugby Touch just did all the sports and that was a, yeah it's a very active kid mate yeah. And you
0: mentioned that for you family and coffee are the two things you can't live without yeah for or, sure. What,
1: what's yeah. your coffee order if you don't mind me asking? Yeah, one more weirdo man like so I have um it's a small long black three quarter full with an extra shot in it and it's that's just the perfect combo and you if you order one of those and you have a, have a geese at the top of it the crema and stuff like that. Perfect. What time of day are we talking? Any time of day. Any time of day. Any time of day. Absolutely any time. I more importantly, the, the family aspect, mate.
0: What what, yeah. what influence did that have on you growing up, having that support network, having that love around
1: you growing up? Uh, it was huge, mate. I think, like, my mother, especially, well, yeah, my mother and, and in combination with my grandparents, they're like just their, their natural gifts are sort of, a, of that giving nature, um, and they always have that sort of love and support, like, feel about them w- without you know trying it's, it's a hard way to explain it but like they're like showing that that's the way of life had been sort of just bled into me um and i just sort of had found that in anything that i was doing that the support was always there so the risk for me never really felt like a component uh, and that kind of escalated all the way through to when i started doing the things i was doing later in life um and chasing all these bigger dreams but like i was always filled with a lot of self-confidence and a lot of love and a lot of drive because I knew that that foundation was there it was very important
0: and I guess you, you hear that a lot that yeah parents or, or guardians
1: they they're influenced by doing rather than saying was that the case for you yeah absolutely I feel that that's that's something that's always I think about that a lot like especially now and then when I'm looking forward into the next sort of five ten years having my own kids and stuff like a goal of mine someone asked me the other day actually um, and I said like a goal of mine was trying to figure out a way to get somebody to move without asking them to move um, which I think is a quite a cool concept yeah. to have because, like, it's because that—that's where the difference is made. I feel, um, you know, you can ask somebody something to you blue in the face. We can tell them something, and then they can tell you something back. But whether or not it goes in or it, it, the next step is taken is, you know, it's, it's a grey area. It's
0: about setting a standard for others,
1: I guess, isn't it? Yeah, it is. It is. It's um, personifying the teaching. I guess that someone said that the other day. I that's that's a good quote. Qual- I can't take credit for it, but it's yeah. It's Again, that's fine. Yeah. <laughs>
0: And you, you touched on your, your, a lot of activity growing up. You kept mm. yourself busy. Yep. Uh, you and I played a bit of rugby against each other in high school. Yeah, you had to Black do that Sloan, rumble. Blacks yeah, Black Swan women's rivalry. <laughs> we did. What impact did, did sport and those activities? What What impact did that have on you growing up? You know, connecting with other kids. Um, yep. I guess like a, it's a, a way to, to get
1: the competitive streak out there. How did you find that? Um, yeah, I mean, weird because like the competitive streak. Uh, just touching on that. Like, funnily enough, never really had an impact on me i didn't really ever play sport at that capacity because uh, i just love people like that's my thing and um the sport like i just love fitness and, and people just getting around each other that whole sort of um you know just achieving things as a group that's why i like the group sports i started mm-hmm. in swimming I, I played tennis i lost interest in those very cool i say very quickly but like i like swimming i was doing for 12 years but um like you you lose interest sort of when you you're on your own I'm, I'm somebody that's not really that good on my own um you know with my own head sort of thing so like that's when i popped into that rugby scene and it, it, that's how thrive and i love that that vibe everyone's just sort of getting there for the next man and it's just a really really fun environment to be in
0: yeah i think there's something unique around team sports and and people's uh yeah i guess willingness to bind to that bigger picture isn't it and, yep. and you do see it a lot there's a lot of People who play individual sports, they give up a lot. They sacrifice a lot, both socially and I think through their life. Yep. Um, you know, there's greater rewards through say tennis and golf, but I think there's so much broader benefit in team sport than you get through mm. those individual sports as well.
1: Yeah. I'll just like I will say now. I was going to wait until later, but like the 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 trend was like I, I've actually never had a job that I had to apply for. Like I always knew somebody in the place that had to that that had to make the call of whether I was going to be in or not. And and that's how and that's it has started at the first job and that was at IGA. What
0: do you what do you put that down to there? Do you think that's the relationships you've built with people not with the intent of getting a job, but you, you talked about you love people, you love being around people. Do you think mm-hmm. that came back to, to benefit you? Absolutely. It was
1: that one of that thing that I used to that I, I said before about following sort of my mother's like guidance in the way of um, like she always made me believe that it was very important to respect other people and talk to other people because, um, you know, you, you find out all oh, this beautiful, there's so many beautiful things out there that you just, like, yeah, I don't know, it's hard to explain. I just really enjoy doing it. I'll just go and talk to anybody. I'm just fascinated by it.
0: Do you think, and this is going down a bit of a tangent, do you think
1: society's losing that connection, that person-to-person connection? Uh, yes and no. I have a, a bit of a, uh, I, th- I guess, weird view on it because, Like, I am all about that person-to-person connection, but I also understand the connection of social media and people that are online now. Um, You know, there are people that aren't doing it or or that are in the social media realm and being impacted negatively by it, but also people are doing those same things in real life. Like, there are positives and negatives of both worlds. I think people are still being connected, but it's just, um, yeah, I think maybe the negative thing's been glorified you know, uh, quite a
0: bit. Yeah, it's probably quite crisis driven. You, you hear the bad news stories, you that's hear, right. Yeah. You hear the, you're right, the negative side of it. But I agree, I think it's important to have a bit of a balance. Mm. Um, it's and, just and
1: not exi- as exciting to talk about all the positive stuff. Yeah, that's, yeah, you don't get, yeah, that's right. It's get not a headline, sentiment. is it? No,
0: it's not. <laughs> and I find like my personal approach is regardless of what you're doing, it's just about recognizing what you're doing at that time. So yep. whilst you're on social media, you acknowledge that you're on social media. Mm. Or when you're in, in conversation with people, it's about acknowledging that as well.
1: Yes, yeah, agreed.
0: Another note you sent me, made in our our communication beforehand. You said um, that your life's been a journey of tasting and discovering self awareness. Mm. Um, Once you finished up at school, uh, at Blackson High, what did you do with yourself?
1: So this is what I started to do. Like this is when the tasting phase started. By the way, I didn't really know that this is what it was. Mm. Like I just started going rogue, (laughs) um, which I then like sort of later in life learned that sort of that's that was my way of tasting. And figuring out what I was actually supposed to be doing in my life. So, as soon as I left school, I just I, I enrolled in uni um, because I the bridge. I had a bridge program from when I left school. Um, I signed with West Harbour Rugby, like at the, my last year of school, because I made the New South Wales squad at school. Got a, got a contract at West. So, as I signed, sort of the natural progression was to just study something in sport while I was training and playing. So, I, I enrolled into uni uh, at ACP to do uh, PE teaching and then started a year and a half of that, uh, whilst I was playing. That was immediately after. Um, And then uh, sort of deferred after that year and a half to pursue music full time because I'd also been dipping into that in my last year of school, sort of playing in bands at school, and, excuse me, doing bits and pieces there. Uh, And then I, I sort of dived into the DJ phase in that back end of year 12, Purely from a guy that rocked up to my cousin's birthday party with these things called DJ decks, had him set up, and there's a photo that um popped up the other day from you know had they have the Facebook memories my cousin sent it to yeah. me, and I it was just me standing in front of the guy just like this, and I remember I remember st- just standing there, pretty much there the whole night just watching him. Was it fascination? Yeah, okay. yeah. I was like, what's this guy? Like, it's just like he like for me, because like I was always I always needed to be control of whatever music was playing and. Because I, I believed I knew what was best for everybody, uh, music-wise, like, I, I knew how to create a vibe. I, I didn't. I was like nine, <laughs> um, so I was in, I was always in control. So then, when he come with these these machines, I was like, "Oh, it's actually a thing!" Like I don't have to stand at the wall with a with a oh, with a discman or whatever it was plugged into eight different chords to the get to iPod a, Mini or something. <laughs> whatever it was, I don't even think we had that at that point. I think it was that you remember that OG iPod that was yeah, black yeah. and white, one of those numbers. Yeah. <laughs> And
0: going back to your early what what got you into music in the first
1: instance? Well, yeah, I had to, like, it took me, um, like, I had been doing a little bit of work over the last sort of couple of years in getting my overall health sort of better. And it was then when I sort of discovered actually some earlier phases and some earlier things that I didn't actually remember popping up. Because for me, I thought it didn't start till sort of high school, getting on the drums and stuff like that, but we dug a little bit deeper and like my mother had put me in front of the the Bee Gees one night when I was, I think I was about five. I was waiting out for my dad to show up and I was just waiting there just watching the BGS. and I was just like, and it was a back-to-back show. I remember, remember it so clearly as they played the same show but they played an intimate show and then on the ABC or whatever it was, they doubled it into their show Live at the MGM Grand. Wow. So at like a young age, I was like, okay, cool. Like is this group of people that have a performance that have, have intimately captivated this group of people, and then they've gone and done it for now eighty thousand people. So
0: for you, it wasn't necessarily the, the music in terms of instruments and sound; it was more the the whole
1: show. Yeah, the, the dream the, in. Yeah, it's how they made people move and how they brought them together.
0: Yeah, it's funny. I'll, I'll be keen to ask other... Uh, people who grew up in the '90s, I think we all had those kind of bands that we recall. I think for me, it was Queen, Supertramp, and Daddy Cool that <laughs> I remember hearing. Oh, as a yeah, kid. Gotcha, gotcha. And I, I only remember a couple of the songs from them. But everyone kind of reflects back to their growing up with with a band or something their parents introduced them to. Yep. Another quick side note: If you were to have kids at this point in time, right now, what what music would you be introducing them to?
1: Make good question. Really good question. I. Man, I I don't know. That that's a very hard question, man. Because obviously being a musician myself, and then living with musicians, having good friends that are successful musicians, and being in a world that's sort of like it's oversaturated with skewed views of what music should be and what I I don't know. I, we can come I, back to another yeah, time. You don't have to come back to me. Let's do another funk. I don't uh, have to think about that. That's I a think good so. question.
0: And so you post-school, you're out there DJing, um, you know, you got some local gigs happening. Yep. Where did your DJing take you?
1: Yeah, that was so that ended up being sort of my, like the gateway through to to how I started making business from it. Um, Because initially, like, because at first it was going to be a chase for the band life, that world. Like I was playing drums at the back end of school, sort of. And then when I sort of crossed paths with this DJ thing, like, I asked if I could have a, have a go and whatnot. And he said, yeah. Um, he was a good friend of my cousin, So he brought the decks around one day. Said to have nuts at it. And I was in year 12 this time. Just got my P's as well. Had some friends. Had some parties. I'm like, would you mind if I... I didn't even know what I was doing. But I had one day on him. And I said, do you mind if I like DJ parties? party? like, do you know what you're doing? I was like, well, I can plug him in and I can press play. <laughs> I'm sorted. He's like, okay, sweet. So um, he goes, but I need a couple of the... Th- like, long story short, what I ended up with was one of his CD players, his mixer, and and I had an iPod, so that was my deck setup. Um, and I made it work. I was just I played it. Um, I was playing house parties for fifty bucks. And how old are you around here? Twenty nineteen. So ah, uh, you two, oh, sorry, a seventeen. Oh, so still in school. This is happening. still in school? Right. Yeah. Gotcha.
0: Gotcha. Yes, yeah, so I am
1: seventeen, so I am just playing parties. And because um, I'd found at that point, this was a, like sort of uh, when when sport and music were crossing over. Um, So at this stage, I was still sort of heavily in training and sport. And so I hadn't touched a drop of alcohol at this point, no drugs, none of the, um, none of that underworld stuff that sort of like got, got into me later on in life. Like that was not a thing. So I was just driving around to parties and pretty much controlling the music at all the parties anyway, because I didn't drink and everyone was just yapping. So I was just like, well, I'm just going to control music. So it ended up going, well, I've got a DJ set up now. So can I come and I'll just DJ and cost you 50 bucks. And for them, they was like, well, that's a case of beer, so yeah, no worries.
0: And is this all people you knew around the mountains? Yeah,
1: and the right. yeah, it was just started from people that um, like were at my school, and then it was just sort of just stemmed from there. One person had a party, the people that were at that party had a birthday coming up, can you DJ mine? And kind of built for just word of mouth, and then because people knew me, because I talked to people all the time. That's the only, that's the only reason why I know a lot of people, because I just talk to a lot of people. They have no choice. <laughs> that's a good trait to have, right? No? Yeah. Um, so then I just stemmed from there, they're like, oh, I know that guy, yeah, okay, no worries.
0: And did this DJ did the perform did that continue through your university time prominently, or did you put it on the back? No, nah, di-
1: oh, sorry, yeah, I didn't actually answer your question properly. So yeah, that it took off. So it um it escalated from there to, to sort of larger parties, and then I saved up some money to get some bigger decks, and then um so, sort of started offering sort of longer longer hours and sort of bigger sets for bigger money, um and then I sort of started to realise like that this was actually a thing, and then. Um, what ended up happening was with my best mate, um, we we formed a duo called Jagged, um, and we we'd set up this duo. We were still playing house parties at this time, but we just like he was like, "Can you teach me?" I'm like, "Why do we make a why don't we make a group?" Because I, I thought that would be cool. Let, let's be a, let's be a duo, and we didn't know what we wanted to do with it, but we just walked up to parties together. This is that BG's trait coming out. This is that thing, man. This is a group because I feel as a group, like we, we're on tour, this and that. And then um, the funny thing was, like, coincidentally, in that sort of first six months we started, um, a local nightclub was opening up. Like, word on the street was this was happening. We had an inn, again, through someone that we knew. Um, so they, said, they just sent us a mixtape. Like, what's a mixtape? How did we make that? So we had to go back and go, like, we, we got the laptop up and we literally had to record live. Like, so we didn't really know how to hook things up and plug things up at this point. We were just playing music through these things that we were told with decks and stuff um we recorded this mixed mixtape i don't know if, i can't even remember if it was good or not and send it in but like i think the word of our relationship was stronger than the mixtape was so we got a, a start at the audition and this club ran like an x-factor audition for djs so we performed in front of the four owners uh no one in the crowd and we just had to perform for 15 minutes
0: but surely DJing, your feet off the atmosphere most it, of the time when you're yeah, up there. You always do.
1: So it was very hard to um to try to generate this fake sort of like yeah, like put your hands up, this and that. Um, so we, d- yep, we just did it, and so we ended up getting the residency spot at this place called Friction Nightclub, and that was our, uh, I mean, everyone I think from the mountains and Penrith area, for everyone from the area knows Friction Man, the infamous establishment. And, yeah, and you know what? It was the time of our lives, to be honest, man. But it was the it was the blueprint of, like, sort of our success as a duo because from there, because we'd supported, like they had a, they had a bit of cash because they were very successful at the start. When they opened, as any new nightclub is, they spent money on big acts. Havana Brown came, like the Stafford Brothers, Timmy Trumpet. So we, by default, ended up with a massive bill of support acts because we, we, we were the headline resident. So we were always there and we were always on the bills. So just then we used our relationship building skills again to then try to level up to get to the next place. And we ended up putting ourselves in the festival circuit. Did you, you talk about, I guess, engaging with, with those, other, those other
0: acts? Was it a deliberate relationship build in terms of, I want to chat to this guy because I want to get to the next level? Or was it just, I want to get to know, know these people and, and find out how they do it?
1: Yeah, it, I mean, it's, yeah, it would be nice to say, look, there was a strategy behind it. Um, but again, like, I just like, I'm just fascinated about how different people operate. Um, yeah, and... I mean, at that moment, it was more so just like, this person's like, like really, really like successful at what, whatever they were doing, like they're sort of showing us that there's, there is a lifestyle, um, like a, a business lifestyle surrounded by what we're doing here, um, which is kind of like a little bit inspiring and sort of generating that relationship. Yeah, I didn't really have a goal at at the start and then you sort of, as you go along, you go, oh like this sort of, the, the dots start connecting and it didn't actually click for me until we got ourselves into a festival spot and we ended up backstage with the same people that we were supporting at that club. So like, oh, you're the guys from that club.
0: So it's all the connections. That it is the connections,
1: but when you make a, like when you make a really good first impression by however means you do it, um, you know, people, people do recognise that whether you, whether you feel like it at that point or not. Um, you know, if, you, if your intent is right when you show up, if you show up correct, um, that always lasts, that always last and looking at those other acts did
0: you see them as professional in the sense of they were making full-time money out of their acts or were they were they still balancing other work and performing as well
1: yeah no so here's another thing because I, uh, again because of some connections like i would always you'll find that I, I always find myself in these weird positions man but i i knew so i i knew information that i shouldn't have known how much they were getting paid what they were getting like all the the ins and outs, where they'd come from, what they made in that weekend and stuff like that. Just because when when you tour art, and this is how I started developing the business information about it, like usually to save on costs when you you get big artists, you grab them when they're on tour and you work with a couple of different people about filling their slots and and stuff like that. So you kind of find out how much they're asking for that weekend and then a few agents are working together to get that fee, however that means, like you know, however many shows that means for them. So, So I'm like, okay, great there's some serious sort of dollars here um but i didn't really like money's good money was always good um it was never really a driver for me i never really i never really respected money like i'm not saying it was just like you know i don't care about money like it's just one of those things i never respected it at all like both positive and negative it was just 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 sat there i was more like that attention seeking Mm. sort of like people thriving sort of individual and that's where the performance thing really drove me because i was the centre of attention, people are just there and I could impact them by doing something cool. And you feed off that energy, I guess. So I do, yeah, It feels good like that. It feels good for people when people are there. Definitely, So yeah. having a really good time to something you're doing.
0: And whereabouts did you, the festivals, where did they take you and for how long were you doing this, yeah, I guess, initial festival so we, we
1: really hustled to get into that position. We, um, Future Music was the first one that gave us our start. Um, but we, we signed on board as promoters, like, um, so not as DJs because that's how you, you can't really as an under like sort of a, what you'd call it, an under, undercover DJ where like you're not signed, you don't have any music out, you don't have any following, no one's coming to you. So you're you're like, you're considered a resident, it's like a standard DJ. So to get yourself into these builds, you've got to, you've got to be a promoter or you've got to sell tickets or you've got to know someone. At this point, we didn't know someone there. We just knew someone that um, could hook us up with a promoting job because they're going to give you a promoting job if you can sell tickets. So it's, no, no loss for them. They go, here's 50 tickets and we need this much money back. So we said, cool, give us 50 tickets. We sold them the next day. Um, we said, cool, give us another 50. And so if you only sell 50, you get another 50, so on and so forth. We ended up selling 200. We said, if we can sell 500 tickets, can you put us on a support slot? He said, you sell 500 tickets, we'll give you a slot. And so, was, so we were bang done. Me and Gav went back. Just boom, 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 just hustled, hustled, sold 500 tickets. I think we ended up selling like almost close to 800 or something. Like we went well above over and we got a slot at Festival. Um, Sorry, at Future Music Festival, Um, which, yeah, that was our first sort of like real, real big deal thing. Uh, And we ended up getting the first slot of the day, which was like, we got it. And we're like ah, but we understood why. Like we, this is we're, we're first coming. You're and there,
0: and aren't you? That's the important
1: thing. We're there. We're on the bill. You know, at least we, you know, we can set up for whatever. Have a good set. Get some footage of real close up because no one's going to be there. <laughs> um, and we went there, and we went in there, and we were on at I think it was ten o'clock. Don't quote me on the times, but whatever it was, we were on at ten. The doors didn't open until twenty minutes after our set, and then we finished at eleven. So we were playing for twenty minutes, like. For the bar staff and so we're like oh no one's gonna come and anyway by 11 uh, sorry by ten forty. so we start at 10 the doors open at ten twenty. so the 20 minutes to go in our set they had to shut the v10 because they couldn't let any more people in well, so we had pretty much everyone from the area come straight to our so we're in the v10 by the way yes yeah, so, like it's very small um maybe 250 300 people max it's pretty um, good for a first first act. Yeah, yeah. So we um so I just went jump and we're just like, oh my god! And we looked down and it, it was pretty much friction man. Friction music can F- friction nightclub come to future, just to support the boy. Like, it was a phenomenal feeling. It was really really good man. And then we leveraged off that to then get back next year and then also getting into Sonic as well. We played that once.
0: Because I guess the festival organisers for them it's business, no doubt, and yep. they see. 300 people through the gate when they would have expected zero at that time. So yeah. for them, they've seen all of a sudden, I guess an asset or an opportunity. Yeah. Did you guys actively chase that or, or did they start coming to you for those additional festivals down the
1: track? Nah, we're always chasing, um, which I, cause I, the, one of the mistakes that I made was sort of like being, um, too entitled too quickly. Um, because we were able to do those little things. Um, I felt like I deserved more and I, um, but like we should have demanded more and stuff like that um, which like in the hindsight of things like the, when we move aside the next up and comer that wants it just as bad is going to do the same thing man they're going to sell 800 tickets they're going to hustle their ass off they're going to get people there like there are a lot of people that are willing to, to put their life on the line for their dream man um, and we're not really offering anything else than that uh, and in the music business it's music business mm. so they don't sell they don't Like, we sold 800 tickets. That's not why they're making their money. They're not, they're not, they didn't collect their margin from the 800 tickets that Jagged Beats sold at Future Music. They're collecting their margin from the people that bought their tickets to come and see Avicii on the main stage. So there was a brand attached to that. There was a a whole lifetime of dedication that's built that brand that people have come to see on main stage.
0: So the event organizers, they can't get too attached to the next kind of up and come or or anything
1: like that. They can't unless they've, unless. It's come to their attention elsewhere. Um, if you're involved in such a big festival like that, like you have to be. Oh, it depends how big your team is, but you, a lot of your attention's on the, the bigger things. Um, yeah.
0: And
1: after that first one at
0: Future, what was uh, what did you guys do the rest of the day? We were you, were you backstage, we back out were you, with the people. What, how did you approach that day? I, you must've been on on such a high.
1: We were, um, and it was it's a very weird thing. Um, and we, like I can remember it so clearly um, we played our set we went out so we played the first year that Pharrell come to Australia so that was our that was our little claim to fame. like nice. we played the our first festival was Pharrell's first festival in the country so we were backstage and then Pharrell's set was on so we got we went in like into the crowd like because we, we had heaps of friends that, obviously that came so we went into the crowd and then we watched Pharrell's set and Pharrell played at midday right so an hour after us he played at midday then we went back backstage, and then it was 5.30. Like, we didn't... So, Gavin and I didn't move for five hours. I, I was like... Just a blur. Yeah, mate. It just went... Like, because we were just sitting there talking shit to each other. And I, like, it just... And I'm like, alright, oh, sweet. So, what time? So, like, it's six o'clock, man. I'm like, oh, my God. Like, where did this day go? So, like, I honestly just don't even remember what happened. And we, was that...
0: In- was that you just buzzing off the, I guess, the, um, the energy you got from the crowd, the fact
1: that it was a success? Was it all yeah, those things combined together? I think so, yeah. I actually just wasn't interested in going out into the festival. I was just like, this is a sick, man. Like, when we're sitting backstage, I've never really been backstage pop-up before. You know, I've told people I was, but <laughs> never really up until this point, so I didn't really want to... Um, Go back into the go into the main field. when had a backstage pass. You've earned that opportunity, right? Yeah, I'm not moving. I've got this esky because they supplied all that alcohol too. That's the thing. They had, when we got there, they had this big this big esky full of drinks to sitting behind us. I said, boy, that's for you guys for your set. Get you through this and that." I said, what? <laughs> Open the esky full. I was like, "Oh my god!" Yeah. Was it was it was moments like that
0: and sitting backstage. Did, at that point, were you like, "I've made it"? Was that your mentality? Or I've kind of made it, or did you realise that there's a whole lot of work that has to keep going into it.
1: Yeah, a bit of both, mate. Like, so I always knew that there was always going to be, so you, there's always going to be the next hustle. There's always going to be, like, a long journey. Um But I always had a, like, I'm always, I'm an extremist and a visionary. So when I pop into character, I'm really in there, like, regardless of where I am in the journey in real life. So, like, with things like that, I'll be real proper superstar. Like, I'll be in there and I'll be you know, this is our third show off the tour kind of mentality, um, which, you know, was ended up being to my extreme de- detriment later on in life. But, um, yeah, that was the sort of approach I had, there. Yeah.
0: You're listening to the Passion and Perspective podcast, brought to you by Sporting Chance Media. For three decades, Penrith and the surrounding community has turned to the Western Weekender. Whether it's the Weekender's highly revered print edition or its up-to-date news offerings through its digital presence, the Weekender truly is the heartbeat of Penrith. Visit westernweekender.com.au or find your copy every Friday. And you talk about kind of that start, and It's probably a good segue into it. You've, um, you've spent a fair amount of time with 5 Seconds of Summer who... Yeah. Um, are a local group from the, the Hawkesbury, Hawkesbury region. Yeah, Tell us a little bit about how that even, how did that come to fruition? How did you get connected with, with the guys from Five Sauce?
1: Um, Yeah, so you're real good friends with, so initially in ended up, um, so I met Luke first um, and I'm generating a really close friendship with him. Uh, I met him at, so I, like one of my jobs whilst I was DJing was uh, like, a, I was a VIP nightclub event promoter slash host uh, at the brewery out in Rouse Hill. So I worked for their establishment and I was in charge of running the nightclub that was upstairs. I looked after all the VIP tables and all that. I was the people guy.
0: Yeah. <laughs> so make sure
1: everyone was having a good time. And that was that was my job. And um, and he was on a break from, I think it was like, was one of the very first tours or something. He was home and he just was at the bar, like in the line. And I looked over, I saw this red flannelette shirt and I went and tapped him. I was him was on the shoulder. I was like, hey. He turns around. And I'm like, he's like, hi. Hey. I'm like, Are you Luke Hemmings? He's like, yeah. I'm like, hey, Jazz. Hang on. Would you like a drink? He's like, yeah, man. I'm just lying out for one. Like, super humble. Like, just. And he was just there for a night.
0: He was just there for a night.
1: No one called for him. Um, He came with his couple of his friends. Just went coming under the radar. Um, Just humble as is that the thing. I'm like, do you want a booth? I've got a spare booth. He's like, "Um, yeah. He's like, okay. Like, sure. Like, if you if you want, like, that'd be cool. So I put him in a booth. Got like the owner sent some drinks over had a really good night. He's like, you're a cool guy. Um, I was like, you're a cool guy too. So we like, we exchanged numbers and then we just stayed in touch. Uh, and then like, yeah, we just developed a really, really close friendship. And,
0: and at that point, at that point, Jazz, were where were Filesaw's at in terms of their Huge. progression? They were massive at that point. They'd already dropped
1: they dropped their first album, the, the one that She Looks So Perfect was on, like yep. that multi-platinum record. Uh, yeah, they were really large. And yeah.
0: It might be a silly question, but would people at the bar do people recognise Luke? Or is as
1: a person he was still kind of under the radar? Um, yeah, they do recognise him, um, but the brewery is a very um, it's a very dark place upstairs there, so you you can go in under the radar unless there are cameras flashing in your face, um, unless you go in you know with all the attention with security and stuff like that. Like he just strolled in, and it's his local. It, and it was his local, effectively. So. Who, um, I mean, people didn't really bother him um, as they started going more regularly, and as they continued to get more popular. Um, but he said he even said himself that like he found that just at that point in their career, like just in Australia, they didn't they weren't as recognisable. Like he just didn't get he didn't get like um, approached as much. People probably recognise their music more than the people. Maybe, yeah. Not, I'm not really sure um, as far as that goes. But yeah, he he seemed to slip into the brewery a couple of times on the radar. Different story at Marquis though. Like, because it's in the city. Um, So maybe it's just where he was. I'm not sure, man. And so you've exchanged numbers. You've started, I guess, a bit of an informal friendship. Yeah.
0: Where where to from there?
1: Yeah, we just... um, So we just kept in touch. And then, um, like, I just ended up saying that I was just starting out, like, trying to make music and trying to do my thing. Like, because at this point, I'd started doing acoustic gigs as well. Because, like, so DJing and I was drumming in a band and started acoustic. Just really just trying to get around and just sort of figure out what, what I was supposed to be doing. And then actually meeting him sort of gave me a little bit of a kick about sort of, um, wanting to be, do more with music and stuff like that. Cause when you, when you have in front of you, somebody that he, and this is this moving thing again, the sort of leading by example, like like personifying the life that you sort of a dream about every so often at that point, they're doing it and not talking about it. Yeah. Just, just, just doing it, man. And he, he was 18 and he just turned 18, you know? And, um, yeah, just 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 really really successful, really humble. And I was like, that's cool. Like, I want to do that. I want to be really successful. I want to make a difference around the world. And then I want to be able to come back home and be humble like him. Like, that was cool. Um, and so I I sent him a couple of songs that I'd made, and he said, Oh, these are really cool, man. Like, um, and then I had ended up like in that year going over to the states my for the first time to get into a, a competition that like it was a competition that got me to the states to try to meet the people that I needed to meet. Um, cause at that point I was doing the whole X factor thing, their voice thing and trying to audition, not getting lucky enough to get a start and or whatever that, you know, that viewpoint was. Did that hurt your confidence? Yeah. Yeah. Heaps. And then I, I'm not a very patient person. Um, so I, uh, my mentality was sort of okay, if you're not going to help me, I'm going elsewhere. Um, and, that, that's a good trait to have. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, cause I didn't have much more education into it than, um, sort of what society here shows you and that's if you want to be a singer you go to the x-factor or the voice or the whatever not sure on any of those shows but that's just what that's that's the that's the pathway that you're shown. you're not really shown that music is business and what you're br- building is a brand or a project um around that business so um this whole went to the states to to meet the people that are thought could help me I ended up meeting someone that, that could yeah is that
0: when you say someone that met you is that a,
1: an agent is it a producer well, that's what I was going in search for I didn't know so I was going for an agent producer whatever um so I got to a competition that I I'd, I'd had a look at the names of the people that were speaking at this place um and then like I'm just, and then just hustled so like I just got myself in a position where I could speak to the person I needed to speak to because they offered seminars but only every so often you had to they offered go sees, but you had to line up for ages. And then, because I would just sit there and break down, and like it was a really cool experience for me because I would just people watch. And I watched people just hustle and step on the next person to get to the front of the line to get all this and that. And I'm watching it, and I'm just like, I sort of like watch it like it's a movie, and I go, This is how these people are operating. And I try and think about what's the best brain space that this person, like this successful producer or whatever they may be, When's the best time, and when will they have the most space to take the information that an up and coming artist is going to give them? Because you've got to think about you've got hundred people in line with a with a next hit record, work with me sort of thing. And is it a face to face interview or, or audition? Or? Yeah, it was just, this was a talk. So you got to sit down with them for like it was like a ten minute window. You get to go. This is what I got. Real elevator pitch. Yeah. This is what I got, um, and then and then they come back with yeah. This is our this is the price. It was quite an intimidating process because when you got to the final ten people at the table, there were the ten people at the table, and then this person spoke, so everyone listened to you, your shit. Then they left, and then everyone moved up, and the line moved to the table. So there was a room full of producers, but there was hundreds and hundreds of people from across the world at this conference.
0: And this is is this in Los Angeles?
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: So the, one, the biggest city,
1: Hollywood. In the, in the heart the, of it, bro. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you, had, you, had to get, you had to get invited to be at this um, competition. You had to audition online and make it into your country's team first. So that was the first step.
0: Did you know anyone else over there? No. So you're sitting there in a room with complete randoms having to yep. sell your
1: dream to, to producers. Hmm. Well, I was more so... I knew what I wanted to sell. I, that, that was the thing I always... And this goes back to where my mother filled me with a very clear direction about um, once, once you found something, you could just go. Um, and so I knew that. So that was fine for me. What I was trying to break down was how to get that across in the most efficient way and what position I needed to get him in. Because if you sit someone down like that, that's a very, very busy person. They've got a lot going on. They hear the same thing every time. You need something that's going to make them go, Oh, Oh shit. Like, okay. On, I didn't expect that. Let's talk. So um,
0: avoiding the cliches, avoiding the... Just mm, just what they want to hear. You need to make that unique to yourself, yeah,
1: right? Yeah. And I got... Like, I got... Like, the, the wind sucked out of me just even before I got there. I got to the third person and someone said, Ah, so I've got my demo CD. And he's like, don't ever call it a demo CD. And I was like, ah. I had, like, 200 demo CDs in the bag that I had. And I was like, ah. Oh, which was a kind of good thing because... Like, I didn't get them out, obviously. Um, but he, this guy the producer was like, you don't ever give someone a demo CD. That's like saying, here's my work. I don't really believe in it. It's okay, but it could be better if you help me.
0: And you're trying to excuse your work effectively, yeah. aren't
1: you? Yeah, he said, declare, don't aspire. I'll never forget that. I was going to say,
0: that must have sat with you for a while. Yeah. That kind of advice. It did. And you kind of, you brush it off to the side there a little bit. but You've put down all these tracks... On CD, were they all originals for you? They
1: were. They were awful. Um, but they were, um, they were the first original pieces of music that I had made. Um, I'd actually even, because I'd rushed it so much because I was just trying to get over there, I'd made the record and ended up uploading. So I'd uploaded the one of the singles and then um, an acoustic version of the single and then a second single. So there was three on there. But the first single, I uploaded my teaser Onto it, so it only went for a minute and a half, and it was like half the like it was like the middle half of the song. I was like, and I had two hundred CDs of it, so I was just had to just run with it and pretend that that's what I meant to do. Um, it, yeah, it was just an awful experience, but um, I, I got the meeting, um, and then I got to sit down with him, and then I went and did a deal with him. Yeah. And what did that deal entail?
0: Was it an agreement to, to lay down a track, lay down an album? What so we that made about? a record. It was very
1: expensive and it was one of the biggest lessons I've ever learned in music to date. Um, it was the most expensive product that I've invested in. Um, at this point, I'd already invested, oh, I think, let's say close to 30000 in this journey. So if you accumulate all the stuff, you know, buying all my equipment from when I very first started playing gigs and stuff like that to... To investing in trips back and forth um, from places, and then getting the money to get into this team because this competition costs a lot of money to get to. But it was my leverage into getting into this, and it was, and it allowed me to tell my family and my friends that I had something going on. Mm. I wasn't really sure. I believed that I would one day figure it out. Didn't know it was going to be then. But I come from a family and a friend group of structure. Like all of my family are givers and they're lovers and they're supporters. But they're all government workers we all, they're all teachers um, so they all make a difference and they all do that thing but then they do it within the confines of, of, of a structure. My mother's a very organized she's brilliant like she's very organized very odd thing and I'm a very not like I'm just loopy so uh, go get it if you will um, So I used that's why I used the comp. It was my way of going, oh I've been accepted in this competition there is a support net there is a support base there for me for me to go and jump and, and do this thing.
0: And you're on there, you've just, I guess, handed over this check.
1: You're
0: you're in Hollywood, you're in the biggest city, one of the biggest cities in the world. Were you scared throughout that process that it might not play out?
1: No, it was the opposite, which was, again, like another situation to my detriment because I'd worked, I'd I'd hustled so hard, and, and I'd, to this point, had had a few different things where I'd put myself in a position to get something or leverage off something before I'd had to work for it. So I'd raised all the money myself to get to this competition Cost about 15 grand in total. So like including like comp fees and accommodation and flights and stuff like that. So when I went to the comp, because I got accepted into the comp, I didn't, I had to pay my way, all of it. Um, I ended up getting first class tickets because it all supported the whole, like my project. My project was um, I'm going to LA to cut a record. Like I'm going first for a comp. That I'm going to meet this big producer, I've got to fly first class, and I've also got to tell everybody that I'm getting flown first class. So that was your choice to fly first class, or I came as part of the bundle? Uh, there was no bundle. I just presented the bundle to the world on social media. Yeah. So I just packaged it together, and then I'm like, oh my god, like everyone's like they're looking after me, and um, so that cost me a lot of money just to put that front on. Then I got to, so I'm on this high of just building like building fronts for things. As I said to you before, I'm an extremist and a visionary. I'm in character, so I get to this producer. This producer, the one that I ended up striking a deal with, I was after him that whole time because he, <coughs> his resume was that he was on a board with Ariana Grande's musical director, so he had access to the team. So that's what I wanted, and so it's quite strategic the way you wanted to it approach was. it. Absolutely. So I approached him and them, and we did the deal. Um, and so my vision for that project was. Lay the record down with him, and then his name goes on it. His name goes on it. His name goes on it, and Ariana Grande's name goes on it by default, because he's her musical director. And I said, "I'm made. That's it. I'm gonna put this record out."
0: Was the record was that tracks that you had up your sleeve, or you had to start from scratch? Once no, again? so
1: I wrote them at home first, um, and then and then I paid for everything outright, so I owned all the masters. Um, and just to put it into perspective, like and this is hopefully this will help somebody one day. Um, for, for the record if you're unestablished um, doing something like this doesn't work it's very expensive a record I, I put five songs on this record it cost me $75,000 cost me $50,000 in the US and then uh, like the, the exchange rate for the Australians about $75,000 is what it cost me to make a record with Ariana Grande's name on it to which I found out it doesn't work when you just put it out
0: and do you, at that point, do you agree on what cut you're going to get from sales or does that come?
1: No, I, I know. Cause I, I, that, at that point, I understood that when I bought it out, right. So I owned everything. So in my mind, I'm like, oh my God, I'm a double made man because now I own everything. So I'm going to put this out. It's about the drop. Luke and the Fire Sauce guys are going to uh, support it, uh, which they did. Like, God love them. Like, I, like, I love those boys to be so They're the best. Like. They, just, they probably listened to my record. I don't know what they would have said behind my back, but like, if I were them, I would have said, this record sucks. But they just like—they disliked me, and they supported me, and I appreciate them so much. And they, they supported it. They retweeted it. All my friends back home retweeted it. Everyone got behind it. And the direct buy link, so this is before Spotify and Apple Music really popped. Like they were there, but we were sharing buy links. So when you hit the link, it takes you straight to iTunes where you can buy the song. So that direct buy link, had thirty five thousand retweets on it, so which means thirty five thousand people have retweeted it. Deliberately hit that, a that button. exact. Yep, deliberately hit a button. Plus the people who just saw the tweet. Plus people who saw it, and I made about maybe three hundred bucks. Three hundred bucks. Maybe about three hundred bucks from thirty thousand retweets on a on a record that was nine ninety nine. H- how did you feel after that? Like, uh, just completely empty. Like. I had just gotten everything wrong, um, but I didn't really, because I was in sort of, I was in peak superstar mode at this point, so I'd escalated it, all of the vices that escalated, and it stemmed from all the shortcuts that I'd taken, and I was very good at positioning and, and selling my dream, because I, I really did believe in it, but then when things started coming so easy, like the opportunities, um, I, I traded that off, I took that, and then I didn't work. So like, and then for someone that could have raised $75,000 and didn't have to work for I could just raise it because I understood how to sell your bi- sell your passions or your business to go and make something happen. So when I come home, if I've got more problems, I don't go, okay, well, hang on, how can I get myself out of the shit in five, six years time? I'm looking at how I can fix it tomorrow. Mm. And because I had the ability, it took me two weeks to get seventy five grand. That's it. So that, that drive, that determination, that's what? Keeps
0: you going. So yes, you were down and out, but you you were able to
1: pick yourself up and just keep keep. on. I, I, I did, uh, but I did it in a, in a way at the start that was very unhealthy. I was just, it was in a distracting kind of mode. So I didn't come back, put my hand up and say it didn't work. I said, oh, we're just waiting. We're just waiting for things. And like, it's just, it just sinking at the moment. I just had to keep making excuses. The excuses vice. to people back home in Australia. Yeah, because I couldn't come back and say, after all you supported me, I, I dropped all this money that a lot of people didn't know about, because um, remember I was sponsored. Um, before which i wasn't i dropped 15 grand just to get over there and then 75 in the record so i'm already up to up to sort of almost a handy that, at that point and so it's just um yeah it was just a very exhausting process and you were where, a fire sauce at this stage you are you traveling with them you are spending time with the boys what No, was I was that like, it was just like a normal friendship man it was yeah. um we stayed in contact i wasn't we were both in the states at the same time which was kind of a which kind of fueled my when I come back as a superstar. It kind of fueled that that dream and that character, kept it alive a little bit longer than it should have, I think. Because, like, they were I was over there, um, like on my own sort of bat. And I stayed at a hotel in the first few nights. I met up with them, and Luke's like, Where are you staying? Here? I'm like, Well, I've got a hotel in for the first few nights, but I'm not really sure. He's like, Man, come stay with us. And, um, so I ended up staying with them in the Bel Air house. Um, uh, like they meant like it was a mansion and i was like oh my god and it was it was a br- it was like i'll never forget and, I, and i'll never be able to repay those boys for for that like that was the experience of a lifetime because they were in writing phase so for me i was watching the artists in working phase so they were going it was to the like studio ultimate every day. Fly on the wall experience it was i didn't go to the studio and that with them but when they're at the house they're talking about what, what they're doing and the managers are coming in everyone's flying through the house and they're asking them this and they're very in control of their their project, and um, you know a lot of people from home like would assume that what well, they do assume um, that bands and artists and stuff like that are sort of living a glory life and everything's getting done for them. But these boys are extremely active in what they're doing, and it was quite inspiring. I was like, I mean, this is where I got like, a lot of my kick from. I was like, oh my god, I learned a lot from from just watching them.
0: Yeah. What what did a day look like for for yourself and for for the guys from Five Sauce? Was it just work, 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 or did you, did you have the chance to let your hair down and enjoy yourself?
1: Um, I I didn't because I didn't have the, the opportunity because I had raised all that money and that's all I had. I had to just I had to just do the eleven hour days in the studio when I was doing it because I didn't when I was with them I was on like not break phase but that, this was before all my stuff started. So I was there sort of just taking meetings like stuff like that. And, um, so I just watched them and they, they just work like a normal job. They would work Monday to Friday. They go, um, like go to writing sessions, photo shoots, do all that stuff. And then they have a weekend and cause I just try to keep it as normal as possible. And was it what you envisaged superstar to be? Not at all. No, I, um, I didn't know what to expect to be honest. Um, and I actually didn't even expect to be there cause I just thought I'd catch up with them a couple of times. I didn't want to bother them cause they were, I knew they were, they were working so hard and stuff like that. So, to be even, I'm so grateful for that opportunity to be even shacked up in their house, uh, which is a cherishable moment for us all because you've burnt down in the fires that they had over there. Um, so, it was at Linda Flora, they had those big fires. Yeah. So, it no longer exists. So, it's something that i definitely hold close to my heart for the rest of my life, for sure. It must have been, um,
0: even <coughs> now looking back, you must pinch yourself because that's, it's such a unique experience, but you earned it, you made it happen. Do
1: yep. you look back on that time uh, positively? I do everything everything I do my, my philosophy now like is so I, I, I would ne- I wouldn't take a thing back except for the people that I hurt. Uh, and that's that's what I, I live by now. That's, that's it.
0: And is it without you know delving too much as it people in America or people back home you feel like
1: you hurt? Definitely people back home. Um you definitely people like I care about for sure um I definitely push relationships and, and friendships to their maximum when I got myself into a lot of trouble and, you know, telling lies to the wrong people and bring a lot of heat and negative energy onto my family and, you know, through the, those vices and those means, it's just not a very good experience to have.
0: And how did your time in the, um, in the U S end up, mate?
1: Um, so it ended up, Oh, do you mean like after I finished recording or?
0: Yeah. So from, from the recording phase, where, where did that take you? Did you spend a lot of time in America or you were back home pretty cool? yeah, We had
1: So a girlfriend of mine at the time we had, um, we took a week off at the end and we went to Vegas and we did that thing and like we took a drive and it was it was quite good. Um, I wasn't in a good headspace. I was still in a very nervous, very anxious, um, very non-present headspace so I didn't really get to live it and enjoy it at all Um, which, you know, I'll feel always hold a heavy piece of my heart with that and the way that I sort of treated her in the back end of that. You know, something you have to live with. Um, Yeah, so like, only not like it was... I'm not going to say it was a negative experience when I was there. It's definitely not negative, but it was one that was just, it wasn't one that was where I was present and I got to actually enjoy what was going on. And it just fizzled out, it bled out of me at the end.
0: You're listening to the Passion and Perspective
1: Podcast,
0: brought to you by Sporting Chance Media. For three decades, Penrith and the surrounding community has turned to the Western Weekender. Whether it's the Weekender's highly revered print edition or its up-to-date news offerings through its digital presence, the Weekender truly is the heartbeat of Penrith. Visit westernweekender.com.au or find your copy every Friday. Since since that time in the states, um, you, you've kept your I guess your, your music career going. Yeah, where where are you at now with your career and? What, what got you to, the, to there in the past few years?
1: So, uh, when I came back, so I came back to work with a guy called Christian LaRusso, who's from, the Sony ATV writer, legend, um, I met him through the Five Sauce guys, um, and he has a studio in Ramwick, and he said, because um, he, I met him over there, and he sort of had been a friend and watched me sort of fall over and get really in the dumps, and he sort of took me in, he said, come, come to the studio, let's just write, let's get a bit therapeutic, and with no real goal, <coughs> let's just do some things. So, From the stuff that I was writing before, was like acoustic, pop, rocky kind of things that weren't really authentic to me. It was just what I was hearing, what I wanted to be, and I didn't really connect. And then we started this writing here, and I worked with a producer called Robbie Desar. So Robbie and Christian like my music mentors. We ended up with this hip-hop, poppy kind of vibe. It just came out of nowhere. I just went and just started just talking about all the experiences that I had, and I just had found a creative outlet it was just I really liked the storytelling process and I just had I think a, a, just a gift to be able to just paint it on a canvas that was not necessarily so direct so someone could sort of jump on board and take what they wanted from it um, and then we ended up sort of with the plan to build a build a record out of it which ended up taking sort of uh, almost three and a half years which ended last year and what was your experience of,
0: of those three years like were you, were you fully immersed in what you were doing do you feel like you'd Almost hit
1: reset, I guess, as a person? Uh, only in the last year, because the because the first two were sort of still... I was still delving through issues. So I was still back back and forth, committing, then going missing, and then sort of still going through that tango, I finding myself and, like, you know, sort of trying to, to recover that man that I was actually supposed to be, that man of the values that my family put in me at the start. So I was on search, constant search for recovering that guy. Um. And so through this, I'm still doing my gigs. I'm still hustling. Um, and at this point, I'd sort of put my hand up to talk about all the things that had gone wrong and what I owed and stuff like that. So I went into different jobs, uh, did some traffic control, ended up on that. Yeah, mm. we can you know, talk about that. i saw tell you face light up. You can talk about that in a bit. Uh, so that was a job. Worked behind bars. Um, I did a little bit of labor. picked up a shovel, I think, once or twice. And um, doing my de- And then on the weekend, DJing, um, singing doing all that combo. At this point, the DJ and the singing were just busy, like were just work gigs. So they weren't shows per se like with Jagged. They were just showing up for five hours DJing. So yeah, so that was all a combination. So I'm just still just hustling with no real direction. I just had to patch, fix all these debts that I had accrued because it had escalated another sort of tenfold on top of that because I kept borrowing and I kept doing things, not being honest, and it really, really blew out. So I had to just keep actively running at it.
0: So the jobs you were doing, that was... Purely just to get the debts done, that, to, yeah. Wave them, yep. You did touch them up there, the, the the traffic controller, and, all. <laughs> I oh, did man, touch which, and you know, saw you on national television.
1: Yeah. What, what's the backstory there, and, and how did you get on yep. national television? Oh man, how do I get anywhere? I just I don't know. Um, I was dancing on the road because like we're just there, we're there for four or five hours at a time, sometimes standing there with the, with the stop, slow bat. Um, And so, like, I just got a bit bored. So one day I was just, like, kind of just, you know, in the dab phase, come out, doing a couple of dabs, pointing people across the road. And it's a very small community up in Mount Victoria there. And it was just, it was one, it was a Great Western Highway. So everyone had to blow through there. So, like, I just end up seeing the same people sort of every day and sort of just trying to bring light to the situation because it was a very frustrating situation for transporters because they had to get home and to work and stuff like that. And we just got, like, a whole, you know, five k's worth of road that people were digging up. And people are having to wait. So someone filmed me while I was dabbing and they ended up being someone that ran the Good Movement page online. And overnight, I got almost a million views, which is by far the most views I've ever gotten anything whilst trying to chase a music long dream to be a superstar for five or six years. And i just dance on the road with a stupid highlighter vest and get... Heart- it goes viral. It goes viral. And then um, this was approaching Christmas of 2016. And then this this random person calls me. He's like, hey, it's so-and-so from Sunrise. I was like, what? Was like, what happened? Did I win the lotto? <laughs> it's like, no, nah, no, nah, but do you want to come on Christmas Eve? I said, what for? Do you want to hear a new single? Uh, and then <laughs> she's like, no. Um, we've got a video of you um, dancing on the road, and we really think it's a, a good feel story. Um, so boxing, uh, boxing Day. Christmas Day of 2016, I was on Sunrise. There you go. Did it eventually turn anything off the back of that, or it was just on no, the show, that was it? It just on the show, just get on there, just cause a bit of muck, and then uh, that's it.
0: How do you feel, Jazz, when you're performing? And I, don't, I don't mean as a traffic controller, but when, when you're out there in front of people, you've got hundreds of people. What are you feeling as a person?
1: Um, oh, I love it because you can, <clears throat> as a performer, like you noticed everything. Like regardless of whether you like you seem to be like lost in a moment of your own, like you notice, you see, you hear everything, and it's quite it's quite impactful. Like to look down and see somebody lost in what you're doing. Um, like you can physically see when you're talking to somebody. This is why I like talking to people and performing for people and telling them stories and doing things. Like you can physically see something in the front of their head just be removed for a minute, and their face just lights up. Like you've made them just forget about whatever hole that they were in, whatever they were doing, whatever they thought had to be done right then, and just take them to a completely new place. And that's just what, like, this whole sort of thing was about. And that's performing and being a musician was just the top tier for me because it gave me the most exposure. Like, i when i when I was younger, I looked at being a professional rugby player. I looked at how many people like, I could perform in front of eighty thousand, maybe, in a stadium, maybe. Then I looked at music and i had an unlimited amount of audience because with the music world and the social media world and like the pinnacle of music um and entertainment you can effectively change the world
0: that's a great way to to look at it what what role did social media play in in your i guess growing as as a performer and a person
1: it it took a control it took control of my life really mate to be honest with you um to where I developed just a very negative approach to to living because it was validating all of my self-esteem. Like I lost all of my self-confidence and self-esteem that my mother and and my grandparents had raised in me and I'd I'd lost all of that and had to just keep posting things to just watch likes just flood in to then feel good. So I I, I definitely noticed that uh, over a longer period of time and it's not till reflecting back now that I really see the damage that it was causing. I do see there are extreme sort of benefits and, and ironically now I have a social media business, um, because I've just dissected you know, sort of the it, it's actual purpose and how it can be used efficiently and effectively. But I um yeah, I had to really address what was going on in my own life to go, let's step back and work internally to get, get to a happy place on your own. Um, yeah, without external validation. And how
0: important was your family and support network and close friends throughout that journey? You know, mm. were, were
1: they with you through and through? Yeah, always. Never left. I'm, a
0: very, I'm incredibly lucky. Yep. Jazz, do you believe that you find yourself as a person or do you believe that you have to go out there and create yourself in terms of do you think that your life is already out there mapped out for you or you, you go create your path?
1: Yeah, I'm a, I'm a wanderer. I mean I believe that um, yeah, you can always create everything is always sort of an option and, and change is always possible. That's a big thing for me. Um, and you know my family have been so so um, yeah, I guess impactful in, in that because like I've, 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 allowed me that space first to fall, but then more importantly the space to get back up and figure it out because that's the longer space. That's the space you need the most. Because when you keep patching the band-aids, you never learn, you, you just go back because you, you teach yourself that I had this big problem, someone fixed it, I'm good again, let's go. Uh, as opposed to actually learning what that lesson was supposed to teach you.
0: That's a great philosophy, mate. And what's, what's next for you? We're, we're at the start of a new decade. Yeah. What do you see in store for yourself
1: in the short term and the long term? Um, Well, I've had, like, sort of, like, as we touched on before, there's a lot of epiphanies at the end of last year. Um, So the album ended up being finished, which was a big therapeutic process for me, just getting to that end point. Um, Whilst that happened, because I had a very hard time trying to let the superstar go, like, that, because everything that was attached, all the goals attached with that superstar character gave me everything that I wanted to do. And so I thought I had to be this character to get there, Um, which is not the case. I finished the album, I had these... Like these callings um, that that summarised that last decade in this album. It's 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 already set to, to release this year. It's going to come out month by month. So I'm really happy with that's it being where it is. Um, I've looked at ba- looked back on the decades worth of relationship building and industry stuff, and have positioned myself and partnered with an agency that do all my bookings now. So I'm always I'm working Friday Saturday Sunday as as a working musician, but I'm also selling venues for them as well. Like I. I like I'm a part of that business. So it just sort of rolls through like that. Um, and then uh, so I've side chained that also with the social media business from, from um, connections and relationships that I've built. So I've pulled a lot of resources from the decade, um, which has made me satisfied of, of being okay with reaching the level that it reached and, and not Madison Square Garden, which was originally the plant. Um, it still might come. It still might come, but I'm not I'm not chasing it with any means possible. Like that. I'm just living my life now um, with the self-awareness that I have. And it's sort kind of led back to your first question. I smiled when you when you asked me what my first job was, um, which was at RGA, the grocery store. And like I, If you ever look at all my pages now, um, I went to change myself from being a music artist, and I wanted to just be a public profile, and it wouldn't let me do it. And the first option I could choose was grocery store. And for me... It's, I've developed all these little different things and I have all these little business benches and I've got two of them there and I've got all my fitness and my community that I'm in. I work at a behavior school with street kids and I'm making a difference there. I'm still making music and I've sort of i got a couple of businesses that are going really well. And so I'm really content with being a grocery store like I do just a bunch of different little different things and that's like building my empire and I'm cool with that, which previously in this last decade, I wasn't so cool with wanting to be all these different things. I had to be one thing, and you had to know what it was when I showed up, and that was, you know, when Jazz dropped oh, he was oh, he like, he's the artist, he's the thing. Um, and so I was just so infatuated by just having to only have one one thing, but just, you know, just figured out a way to sort of get to the next stage. So to answer your question, I guess, this year is I'm going back to study to, to finish my teaching degree um, and move into the behavior school setting that I'm working at already um still have these other things in the background uh you know if the music pops the music pops uh, i'll still i'll still keep making music i've just been the grocery store though and living by this program that i'm living by now has allowed me to understand that the lifestyle of the musician wasn't for me that's something that i can't con- i can't control I'm not, that my 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 system doesn't work well there um but that doesn't mean i still can't create and i still can't make a difference in that platform
0: Jazz, you described to me your life as a combination of many different experiences. Uh, really appreciate your, your honesty and, and yeah. happiness on the show today. Uh, before we do wrap up, uh, please do give your, your social media and, and Spotify uh, a plug. I um, yeah. know you've got an album coming out shortly
1: as well. Yeah, thanks, man. I uh, so my handle is just Jared Michael and it's spelled J-A-R-R-O-D Michael. Um, that's the handle for Instagram and that's the title for Spotify.
0: Jazz, all the best with everything upcoming. Again, thanks for your honesty and openness. And yeah. all the best, Matt. Appreciate it, brother. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Passion and Perspective podcast. Brought to you by Sporting Chance Media and proudly presented by the Western Weekender.